Well, uh, P.T. Barnum said that there was one born every minute. And all you need to do is check your email folder to find out that they think you are one of those. Yeah. Uh, actually, for mild humor and comical relief, I will look through my email folder. Uh, I came across this one last week. I'll read it for you. got very excited. My heart started throbbing as I read it. This is from a guy named Casey Collins. Casey Collins writes, Please be informed that resolution has been made regarding the payment. Hey, amen. The wire transfer of $34,000 to your designated account has been completed. Please attach slip to the check for any possible errors and kindly get back to me as soon as possible, Casey Collins. So I opened this up and, and gave some sensitive information. And, you know, two days later, I was checking my savings account, and it was gone. No. Yeah, P.T. Barnum said, and I love this one. This was a good one. Urgent info for Pastor Mike. The truth is out. <laughs> I have looked up your name and found horrible things about you. You can view them by going here. And then it has the date and has three negative items on your list. I really want to know what they found out. I can give them a longer list than three, I probably guarantee you. Yeah. If they only found three, I feel pretty good about that. Amen. Uh, last week I got this in the mail, and I had intended uh, to... By the way, if you see... If you see fourth class or bulk rate, just throw it away. But anyway, this was this, and it said, check enclosed, your final payment. So I sat it in the garage, not wanting to open it, because I wanted to open it in front of you so we could see how much I have here in this enclosed check. But Karen found it in the garage, <laughs> and so excited, she just ripped into it. She wanted to see, see? Like P.T. Barnum said, sorry, <laughs> cheap tickets, cheap tickets, I have a thousand dollars voucher to fly anywhere I want to fly. Yeah. Um, we come before a passage like we're going to this morning, and I want to skid the brakes on real fast with you and I. Because this looks, in this passage, like a blank check. Who would like a blank check this morning? I'm just going to sign it. There's nothing on here. And I'm going to give it to someone I trust will give it back to me. <laughs> There's nobody out there. <laughs> it's worthless, trust me. There's no money there. John chapter 14. Because when Christians over the ages have read these verses, that's what they see. And I want you to see that this is not what's there. We read verses in chapter 14 of the Gospel of John like... If you ask me any, 
if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. There's verses, uh, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. And we stop right there and we go, boy, give me that check. Let me tell you why we do this. Because we, have, we are born into this world believing that the world evolves around us. Just spend some time with a two and three and four and five year old. Because they haven't learned to hide it yet. And they will flat out tell you, I am in control. You live to feed me. You live to shelter me. You live to make my life easy. That's what, the, okay? So any, any three and four and five-year-old will absolutely flatten tell that out. Uh, Benny got to the party yesterday, and I guess one kid had a toy he wanted. So he asked, he reached his hand out, and the kid went like this. And Benny said, share! <laughs> that's not a request, that's a demand. That's just being a kid. So we get beyond six or seven, and we're taught that that's inappropriate kind of behavior. So we bury it. And in order to make some friends, and so we don't get kicked out of school, we bury it. But we don't move away from that philosophy very quickly. We're just polite about it. We really do think that everybody exists to serve us. One of the jobs of parents and grandparents is to civilize the child enough so it can function in a, and understand that this life is not about them. It's about everything else out around them. It's really about God. So we get to a passage like this where you go, ah, this is it. This is what I want. I want that healing. I want that money. I want, I want... I want, okay, I don't want the money or the healing. I just want a nice life. I want people to leave me alone. I want a decent boss. Is that too much to ask for? I want a house that halfway functions right. We're still thinking of me and I and us. If you don't see how intrinsically selfish we all are, you won't understand the mentality of what's going on in this passage. The most miserable people in all the world only think of themselves. They talk about themselves. They think about themselves. It's, it's, it's a dead-end, dark tunnel to be in. So take a look at the passage, maybe with eyes that have cast themselves off of self, and let's see what it really, really, really says. Chapter 14, in verse 12. Truly, truly, I say unto you, whoever believes in me or on me, Jesus gets extremely personal here. This is not believing Jesus. It is believing on Christ or in him. It's a world of difference. You may say you believe somebody. What you're saying is whatever they just said to you, you believe. 
This is believing in a person. Notice it does not say whoever believes in themselves. That's what the world will tell you. Believe in yourself. Believe in your potential. Believe what you can do. You know the biggest lie we tell our kids? You can do anything. No, they can't. Get them up here and sing. You'll find out there's a lot of stuff they can't do. Don't tell them they can do anything. They can't do anything. You can do what God designed you to do. Tell them they can do anything. Jesus said, don't. The first step is to get your eyes completely off you. Believe on me. Take your faith off this world. Take it off your friends. Take it off your husband or wife or kids. Get your focus completely off you and your world and your friends and everything about you. It is about Him. If you believe in me, you can't believe in two different things. You're either casting all your care upon Him or you're keeping it for yourself. You don't split faith. If I believe in Him... I don't believe in me. This is why the Christian life has very few followers. And even those who flock to a church, many do not know Christ. Look, we all know we're empty, don't we? We all know we're empty. Even the lost man knows he's empty. That's why he keeps buying the booze, and that's why he keeps doing the drugs, and that's why he keeps cutting his lawn, because he thinks all those things are going to fill up the dark, empty void. We know we're in need. We all do. The difference is Christianity brings the, number one, the only thing that will truly supply your need. But watch this. This is why people don't flock to him. Because in order to embrace him, you kick yourself off the throne. Everything else feeds into you. Christianity is, is, it's, it's about him. There's only one king of the hill. And it has to be him to be a Christian. See how uncomfortable that feels? You've been up on that hill a long time. And if you're going to discipline me, that means I can't run the show and I want to run the show real bad. See? They know. See, you've been running your show for a long time. And when Jesus comes in and you believe on him... That means He is everything. And that's why very few people get saved. That's why very few people truly know Christ. See? That's the bottom line. Take a look. uh, We're going to get through this. Take a look at chapter 14, verse 12. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. (laughs) Whoa. Uh, Notice it does not say that He will do the works that I did. I do, he will do the works that I do. Luke has a fascinating statement in Luke chapter 1. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 1. We're not going to turn there. Luke said to Theophilus, he said, of all the things that Jesus began to do. Now watch this. Acts is a record of the acts of the Holy Spirit as the life of Jesus is working in the book of Acts. So when Jesus came in the Gospels, he began the works. 
He's still doing the works. So the works that we do are really the works that He is doing. He happens to now be doing it in and through us, but notice He said, the works that I do, you will do. We're doing it, not necessarily together, I am working through you. See the power of that? Now notice what He says. And greater works than these will He do. That throws theologians for a loop. Commentators run all over the place with this one. What in the world could Jesus mean that we who follow him will do greater works than than him? Notice the next phrase. Because I am going to the Father. Now what in the world did he mean that we do greater works than he because he is going to the... Listen carefully. Jesus, when he was here before the cross, before the payment of sin, healed people physically. He didn't heal them spiritually. He raised the dead physically. He fed with physical food, the 5,000. But when he died on the cross, paying for our sins and was buried and went back to the Father, now the miracles that we perform are not physical in nature necessarily, on a few occasions they possibly could be, but they are mostly spiritual in nature. The greater works are to preach the gospel and for people to get saved. Imagine a soul that was going to hell, translated, and now it's going to heaven. Wow. That's the miracle. Imagine a believer in bondage to sin and they learn the life-changing message of Christ within them and their co-crucifixion with Christ. And all of a sudden, they're not in bondage to that sin anymore and Christ is magnified in their life. This is the miracle he's talking about. These are the greater works. But what does the church focus on? We focus on what feeds us in terms of selfishness. What is the message we hear from the church at large? What it can do for our pocketbooks and what it can do for our sore elbows? What do you believe about the church and its main focus? Why is it here? If you don't get that message right, you won't be happy here. The purpose of this church is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ for people to be born again and saved in the kingdom of God. The purpose for this church is for us to grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is the essential core purpose of this church. Would we like to feed the poor? We have a food pantry. Would we like to help people out financially, occasionally? When God leads, we do. But that is not the purpose of this church. The purpose of this church is not to go out into the community serving the community. No, 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 no. The purpose of the church is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ so that our lives are transformed spiritually because that is the essence of what people need. Notice, he says in verse 13, whatever you ask in my name. Notice, in my name. 
This I will do. Purpose, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. I don't see my name in there, do you? I see no reference to the believer at all. Do you see that? You see that? Whole different way of looking at it, isn't it? Verse 15, verse 14. If you ask me anything, notice, in my name, not your name. Ask me anything in my name. So that means I can throw up anything I want, attach the name of Jesus in, the, in God's big Santa Claus in the heavens. He's just going to pour it out. Do you understand the blank check mentality? The name it and claim it, folks. They just jump all over that verse. Just put in there what you want. Well, who is the center of that type of mentality in prayer? We are. Here we have the centrality of God ask anything in vital relationship to my name and to me. See, the whole thing isn't just making requests. It's walking in such intimacy with Jesus Christ that your prayers are really His prayers being prayed through you to the Father. You see? No wish list, no connection in terms of what you want. Notice in verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me. Notice it doesn't say you will do my commandments. It says you will keep my commandments. Well, what does the word keep mean? What does the word keep mean? It means to focus the attention on It means to watch and to guard. It means to be absorbed in a thing. That's what it means. Okay? Until you get a child's eyes, you don't have anything. He was probably too young. When you talk to children, when you talk to teenagers, I've had teenagers in the office, this is what they're doing. Don't even talk to them. You're wasting your time. They have to do this before you can talk to them. Okay? It's always right here, isn't it? It's always in the eyes. I can tell whether you're listening to me by your eyes. Okay? Now, I know everybody's looking at me now. <laughs> Some of you, you know, just like, oh, I'm looking at them now. When Jesus, in your life, The thing isn't like, okay, what do I have to do? It's so focused on him with your eyes that he's telling you what to do with his eyes. You're keeping whatever, what his commandments, whatever he tells you to do. Well, how do I know what he tells me to do? He'll tell you when you're looking at him. You follow me? I don't think there's a verse on this one. I says, if you love me, you will be so focused on my eyes and watch me that whatever I tell you to do, you will do it. You take your eyes off me, you haven't got a clue what I'm saying to you. 
if you love me, you will look me in the eyes and I will direct you that way. Isn't that beautiful? This is evidence of the love of God. You don't keep his commandments in order to prove your love. You watch him because you love him. And while you're watching him, you just naturally keep what he tells you to do. You hold it tight. Notice, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, and he will be with you forever. It's the first reference to the Holy Spirit. Notice he references as another helper. He's already, they've already had one, and that's Jesus Christ. I will give you another helper, and he will be with you how long? For I don't know if you've ever been told that you can be saved and lost, but it's a lie out of the pits of hell. You are eternally saved once you are truly saved. Jesus said, I will give you another helper as long as you pull the mustard and do what's right. He will be with you forever. I don't know who's left you in your life, but he'll never leave you. I don't know who's failed you in your life, but he will never fail you. He is in you. Notice, let's go on. It says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. This whole world's built on a big fat lie. Do you know that? It's all lies. It's all smoke and screen. It's all a big balloon fixing to pop. There's nothing substantial or real or truthful about the world that you live in. Everything you hear on the radio, everything you hear on the TV is a big fat lie. Just, just a lie. He is the only spirit of truth. And we're living in darker days, and it's getting darker. And the darker it gets her, the, the, the darker it gets her, the more exciter I get her. Man, I am pumped. Let it all crash down. Let every country do whatever it wants to do. Let this country do what it wants to do. The kingdom's coming. Truth is coming. It cannot receive it. It says. Notice, because it neither sees him or knows him, the spirit of truth. You know him. You love that? You don't feel him. This is a knowledge deeper than your experience of him. You know. How do you know you know? I don't know. I just know. Because I believe. And belief makes me know. He's more real to me than the pews I'm looking at right here. Than the thing I'm standing on. He is real to me. You can't jerk that away from me. You can't jerk it away from you, can you? You know him. If you don't know him, come to know him today. Then you'll know him. This world can't know him. But you know him and he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you without a parent. Notice, I will come to you. Yet a little while, the world will see me no more, but you see me. We'll end on this last phrase. Are you ready for this? Because I live, you live. Because I am alive, you are alive. Now watch this. There's three different Christian songs on the radio that I have 
kind of figure out in my mind. Three different categories of Christian songs. Two out of the three I don't care for. They don't feed me much. The first category of Christian song I hear is, Woe is me. Weary old me. This world has beat me down. If you listen to Christian music, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, <laughs> I am just so miserable. We are more than miserable in Christ. That's, that's the, the idea there. You know? I saw a sign for a church for a recovery class that they were putting out. And I started singing that song. We are more than recovers in Christ. The second song, type of song, the second type of song is a song that talks about starting a fire, burning a fire. I want to burn for you. I want to start a fire of explosion. Someday, I long for someday for something to happen so that I blaze for Jesus. Really? You're waiting for some moment of experience where all of a sudden all your selfishness will go away and you just live for Jesus. That moment will never come. Jesus said, because I live... You're living right now. I don't have to wait for something to blaze in me. It's already blazing. It's been blazing for a good long time. The third category, which I like and which, which we sing here at Suncoast, are songs that lift up the glory of Jesus Christ. They talk about how great God is. We are more than conquerors in Christ. We have his life right now. Don't wait for a moment out there somewhere and quit crying about your problems. Because the center of that whole thing is you, you, you. And that's a dead-end dark cave you'll never get out of. Do you have problems? Yes. But the glory of God, when that's your focus, man, it just lifts you out of that cave and feeds your soul. 